Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Andres Gamboa here, and we are set for another episode of the Ponytails Podcast Show here. I'm your host, Andres Gamboa, like I said, and uh, welcome. If this is your first episode, if you don't know what the heck this is, if you're uh, just tuning in for the first time, thank you for being here. Hope you enjoy. Uh, just so you know a little bit about what we do and what the heck the show is about, who we interview, who we talk to. Uh, we interview alumni of the oldest internship in the United States uh, that is called Southwestern Advantage. Now, we're not and any affiliation with the company that we worked with back in the day, but we just interviewed people who did their summer internship program, which recruits college kids and takes them across the country or sometimes across the world and has them go door to door selling educational books to families with kids in school. And we do this Monday through Saturday throughout the summers, Monday through Saturday for 80 hours a week from like eight in the morning till 9.30 PM. And it's this crazy ride. We've had people share stories of their time during the internship and crazy things that happened to them while they were in the program but then also we ask them about what they're up to now and where that experience led them to and so this is what we're in tune for today griffin mims is in the house with us and i'll give you guys a quick introduction uh in just a second but first i want to give a couple shout outs to some of the other alumni that are in partnership with us uh in in today's episode and so um what we've got today for you guys as far as like the shout outs with our partners is we've asked people uh in their industries to give us uh trade secrets kind of like some ideas or things that are working for them in their industry that are helping them have that slight edge above the competition so for example we have coaches personal coaches health coaches um, we have people in real estate we have people in insurance and it's really a, a variety of industries and so we'll we just ask them hey what are some of the things that we need to know about your industry that people should know uh that, that works for you uh so they uh, they could apply it to either their industry or if they're looking to go into uh what you're doing um it can kind of give them an edge when they get started so the first up is i want to talk about will metcher will metcher is an incredible human being of course he's hiring uh he's one of the top sales coaches for southwestern consulting and the way he does it is by using systems so his, this was his advice if you're doing any sort of coaching or consulting business if you're curious about what a coach actually does he has 30 different clients that go that he takes super deep into goal setting and training uh, almost as much as he did with first years in the book field. And so can you imagine if you had 30 of those people that you train twice a month? It sounds almost impossible. Well, his secret is uh, he uses the Evernote app to keep track of every single client and their goals and all of that stuff. Even Nick Tiverti one of the people that we have with him uh, and who he's, who he's coaching. But uh, he takes notes on meetings, takes him and holds him accountable for all their things and much more by using the Evernote app. So if you're consulting you might uh, or a consultant of any kind, a coach of any kind, you might consider looking into that. Um, of course, work with the best by bringing the best to others. And so that's his tip on the coaching business. Now reach out to Will if you want to learn more about how to work with him. Um, next up, we have Elevate Wellness uh, as far as talking fitness. And this is from Seth Hood and Zane Gallagher, Elevate Wellness. They're both hiring and accepting new clients. Zane is in the middle of prepping for his next physique competition in February. And is, uh, he's one of the best people to learn from about fitness and getting into that uh, body that you desire and that would make you feel more comfortable if that's something that you are inquiring about. So alongside with his partner, Seth, uh, they have some insider tips on uh, stretching. So in this case, he was saying, "Hey, if you're in the, if you're, if you're trying to coach someone, or if you're just trying to take some free advice from some super amazing health coaches, uh, they were talking about dynamic stretching. So a type of stretching that has you constantly moving and warming up instead of sitting and holding a stretch. That's called static stretching, of course. So do it before a workout to mirror more of the workouts you're going to do. It will prevent many, many injuries, uh, big and small. And you know, 
keep you at uh, peak health. So put that work into the check and check out his social, especially at uh, Train with Zane. That's at Train with Zane on Instagram. Of course, you can also follow Seth Hood on Instagram. He's revealing these tips on a daily basis. And last but not least, Cardinal Senior Benefits. We like working with Quentin Roberts and his team. Um, all of his reps are making way over six figures. Actually, you're underperforming if you don't earn more than $200,000 a year. Well, how do they do that? So the first thing to know is that 10,000 people are turning 65 years old every day. So their market share is huge. They're catering to the older population, 60s and up usually, or typically who are looking for final expense insurance. And so that's a massive need for what they do and what they're doing. And that's why they're growing so fast in that demographic. So simply put, consider working in an industry that shows no signs of slowing down and uh, partner up with someone like Quentin who can show you, you know, how to do it and how to get it done fast and well. So if you're looking to increase your income and free up some of your time, um, we can put you in touch with him. The fact that his reps still earn that much money by averaging about 30 hours a week in the field, you know, they do zero cold calling. That's pretty mind blowing. So uh, shout out to our friends over at Cardinal. But now over to uh, our friend here on the show. Griffin Mims is on for the second time. He was on episode 49. And now we have him back almost 100 episodes later. We are so psyched. Okay. So Griffin is a dear, dear friend of mine. It's not often that we have on the show someone who I have known for a while. But I'm super excited to have this conversation because um, he did something pretty amazing that very few people on the planet have ever done. Um, and that is climbing a very big, tall mountain. So he's here to tell us about that journey and about some of the lessons that he took from the book field to help him along and how he got to do all of this. So we have pictures and videos. This is one that if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, definitely that's cool. Make sure you listen through the end. But if you get a chance later on to go back, make sure you guys tune into our YouTube uh, to check out some of the pictures that we're going to be sharing on the screen here because it's going to be an amazing one. So um, Griffin sold just the one summer in 2016. Uh, he was one of my roommates that summer. That would have been my fourth summer. He worked, of course, with the Force organization, uh, and he was graduated from the University of Nebraska and Lincoln. Woo-hoo, go Big Red. Let's go. Uh, originally from Kearney, Nebraska, which, yikes, um, no, no, no issues there. We'll forgive him for that one. But if you want to get a hold of him, uh, you can go to his Instagram. That's at Griffin underscore Mims, G-R-I-F-F-I-N underscore Mims. And of course, he let us know that his favorite scroll was uh, the I will persist. Or no, sorry. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And if you know Griffin, of course, that makes sense. So uh, please welcome to the show, Griffin Mims, everybody. Tales podcast. Here we go. <laughs> Griffin Mims. <laughs> Yo, what's popping, dude? <laughs> dude? I'm so excited to have you here again. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here again. I'm going to dump some tequila and kombucha together from our friends over at home, kombucha. Um, I've been drinking this every episode. It's thirst quenching, dude. So good. I hated kombucha. Well, kombucha I'm and good. tequila. Yeah, it mixes well. So, like, listen, here's the thing. I moved to Portland and I hated kombucha. Like, people make it here, like, at home. It's almost like it's, they have breweries and they have kombucha, like, distillery thingy, whatever. And yeah. I, it tastes like vomit. It literally tastes like you puked and then you swallowed it before it came out. 
like that little oh, man, totally 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 you know what i'm talking about and so i hated it but we had michelle mitchell on the show and she started her own kombucha company from bend oregon and i'm like i think it makes sense it's polite that i drink kombucha on the show while she's you know with me i mean that's just like the nice thing to do so i was nervous and then i drank her kombucha dude it is amazing it's actually really 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 good and so i was surprised uh about that so i, I told her about it she's like okay well we'll just we'll just send you some and so they sent me a bunch <laughs> of stuff i have stickers and now i get to drink kombucha but this is delicious and it's good for your gut health and all that stuff but she's like you should mix it with alcohol and it does all sorts of different stuff and i was like genius so here wow. we are <laughs> wow, that's great i'm, I'm happy what are you here. drinking what are you drinking I'm drinking a Golden Road Brewing uh, Mango Cart beer. It's one of my favorites. It's very fruity, but it's very fun. Cheers, dude. <laughs> Cheers to you. All right. Well, hmm. oh, yeah, that hits the spot. Well, things have changed, dude, since you've been on the show last, uh, both in your life and in mine. And we can talk about that as the show progresses. Um, <laughs> but but I just want to say, first of all, welcome to being on the show. Uh, thank you again for taking your time out. I know you're a busy dude, especially with what you're up to now, which we'll get into that right away. But um, thank you. Thank you for being here. I really, I really appreciate it. Yes, really stoked to be here and to catch up. And yeah, it's fun to be a part of it all. Dude, let's go. So um, for people who maybe didn't hear, hear your first episode, we'll repeat some of that stuff from before, just in case people are just first now tuning into this. Um, but uh, basically speaking, let's just catch up. Give me what happened since you left Southwestern Advantage 2016. You know, that was six years ago. Holy moly, that time flies. And and now what happened to you since? And kind of catch us up on the journey along the way, all the way up this uh, roller coaster yeah. That, you're, yeah, yeah, that you're tall enough to ride. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I sold books in the summer of 2016. Uh, and only sold that one summer. Um, after selling books, I decided to take an internship at the University of Nebraska. That was going to be a career move for me um, and uh, decided not to come back to sell books. So then did that that summer. The next summer followed up uh, and uh, did uh, the continuation of, of that internship that I did at the University of Nebraska. And then my senior year, I spent my senior year abroad. I spent three months mountaineering and sea kayaking in Patagonia and Chile, and then uh, went to the Czech Republic after. And uh, met a guy in Chile who is, uh, got convinced to move to Tahoe, to Truckee, California, uh, and uh, asked me if I wanted to come along. And so I, I said yes. Neither of us had been to California before, and uh, I didn't even know that Truckee existed as a, a, a place and just kind of said yes and uh how it kind of went down is he asked me he's like hey i think i'm gonna move to Truckee. if you want to come you're more than welcome and i said are there mountains there he said yes i was like okay perfect <laughs> um so i moved to to Truckee in the in august of 2019 i graduated from university and then moved four days later um no job no plan really just kind of wanted to move to the mountains and so moved to Truckee, california ended up living on uh in the north shore of lake tahoe and i've been been here ever since for the last three years and spent a year kind of hanging out and climbing and bumming and and uh and then i i started working for a international mountain guide company called alpenglow expeditions 
where I am now as the international expedition coordinator. So I do um, logistics and coordinating and planning for uh, big mountain climbing all around the world. We climb Everest and, and every other big mountain that you can think of. Um, so I spend my days helping people get outside climbing and every once in a while get to get outside myself. So um, that's kind of the, the brief synopsis wow. of, of where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so many things to explore there. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Dude, that is the so basically what you're telling me is if I have the desire to climb Mount Everest, there's like a couple places I can go to get prepared for that. You are like the leading one. Is yeah. that do I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. So like if you wanted to climb Mount Everest, you would call me and I would be the cool. person that you would talk to about climbing Everest. Yeah. Ah, cool. Okay, this is fun. So what people don't know, and, and the reason I wanted you you to have to be here on the show is you just got done climbing Makalu, which is the fifth tallest peak in the world. It's a sister or neighbor to Everest. I mean, you could see it's not Everest, but you can see it from there, very yeah. quite literally. Like, oh yeah, like that's actually how it works. So let me let me dig into this. How did you first hear? Uh, uh, I mean, of course, you met the gentleman from Chile, and you moved to California. But how did you get into Alpine Glow? How did you know that, that that's – I mean, you went from books to, uh, you know, working for a university to kind of traveling, trying to figure it out, and then you land at this company. How did you decide that this was the step to go? And, and you know, what, what, did you, what did you see yourself becoming from at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in my, my junior year in 2018, I found – I decided that I – wanted to pursue photography a little bit and like feel that out. And um, I guess it, it like all kind of started. I know, I'm not sure if this is when we were going to hop into this or not, but it, I, I had a conversation with you actually outside of the student union at the, the University of Nebraska and um, kind of like then through that conversation and more reflection, decided that I wanted to do something else with my life and then kind of hopped full in on, on the adventure train and wanting to spend my life outside. Um, but with Alpenglow, I had spent about a year in Tahoe and I had four jobs at the time that I applied for a weekend front desk position job at Alpenglow. Uh, the founder of Alpenglow, is, his name is Adrian Ballinger. He's an incredible human and a really talented mountaineer and ski mountaineer. He's summited Everest eight times, once without oxygen, K2 without oxygen. Uh, he's made two first ski descents on 8,000 meter peaks, including Makalu, which was what we were there doing as, as Adrian was trying to make the first, trying and succeeded in making the first ski descent of Makalua, 27,766 foot peak. Um, so, wow. Yeah, so I like saw this uh, this ad, this post essentially on Adrian's Instagram um, for a weekend front desk position person, just kind of like help around the office. And uh, I was flying back from Nebraska, shooting a wedding, and uh, sent in my application. I was like, oh, well, I might as well have one more job. Like, I like I love what Alpine Glow does. They're a cool, like cool group of people. I'd love to, you know, maybe like get in there a little bit and, and see what I can do with making connections and, you know, just see what opportunities present themselves. And I sent in my application before hopping on my flight to Reno. And, and when I landed, I had a job interview and then ended up going through three rounds of interviews with uh, Adrian and the chief guide, Logan, and the, the general manager, Sean, and kind of through the interview process, they thought that I might be able to do something more than the front desk position. And so they uh, asked me if I would come on to just be a yes man to say yes to whatever they needed done and to do it. 
And so I kind of took that opportunity by the horns and wow. I was hired in, in October and by January I was uh, fully working on the international side of the business um, pretty much exclusively and uh, doing logistics and sales and everything under the sun for the international side and Alpengo Expeditions runs 30 to 40 international expeditions a year and um, it's been an incredible learning experience and a really fun and fulfilling job to be able to help people go climb around the world and since then i've i've climbed and i've climbed two uh mountains in ecuador and been to nepal and have done a lot of rock climbing and skiing in between and uh i'm surrounded truly by some of the best mountain athletes in the world um and it's been a really really incredible experience to to be a part of um but really it's kind of took a shot in the dark, hoping for an opportunity and then worked my fucking ass off. And, uh, <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so, so <laughs> spoken like a true book, man, like, <laughs> oh man. So I was going to ask, cause how much of, how much of do you think your experiences with either Southwestern or with the, your internship at UNL or just in general, your life had, you know, how much did that have to do with the interview process and, and getting hired? Like, for example, I, mean, I imagine when you, when you signed up, you were like, worst thing they can say is no, I, I figured yeah. that comes from, that comes from that. But was there, what, what else do you think contributed to, to not only your interview process, but that quick growth and that, and that quick moving up the ranks, I guess, if you will. Yeah. I mean, the biggest lesson that I've pulled with me from Southwestern Advantage in general in life is you never know unless you knock if you don't knock you're not going to sell anything and so the the opportunity to just go and knock on the next door or to apply for that uh job or to pitch an idea to go shoot photos on makalu um you know like those uh, it's it's funny i've learned this lesson the lesson was solidified during my time with with southwestern but i first learned the lesson when i was 11 in china uh there is a weird my my dad is a professor at the university of nebraska Kearney, and i was there with my dad and a delegation of of professors and we we're flying home from china we we're in the airport and this kind of weird guy named jeff uh anyways i got an ice cream cone and sat down next to jeff and he asked me if i was going to eat it uh, if I was going to eat this ice cream cone that this little 11 year old Griffin had just gotten. And I turned to him and I said, yeah, of course I'm going to eat this out, this ice cream cone. And he said, well, you never know unless you ask. And that same idea <laughs> of like, you never know unless you knock on that next door, uh, you never know what's going to lie behind that door. That was the first thing that the biggest thing that I pulled from, from my time uh, selling books. And it's, I've let that into my life now, you know, you never know unless you try. And, uh, unless you're giving your hundred percent all the time, um, it's hard to succeed. And so I just really wanted it. I, I wanted to be successful at this company and with my job. And so I, I said yes to everything that they asked me to do. And I put in a lot of work to do it. And uh, I think a lot of it as well was I'm incredibly passionate about what I do. And uh, I mean, coming from Kearney, Nebraska, the mountains are kind of the biggest stark difference that I could imagine in life besides the ocean. Uh, and so uh, it's amazes me to be in the mountains. And so I get to help people help other people get into the mountains and it's been really fulfilling. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think I took a couple lessons from selling books into not being afraid of rejection to uh, needing to knock on the next door and making my own opportunities to uh, finding kind of that reason why I'm doing the work that I'm doing and why I'm working so hard and um, finding that passion within it. So yeah, definitely a lot of lessons learned, uh, learned there. And, and, you know, I, I, 
I'm more or less a salesman, right? Like I, the, the company, the, the product that we provide is incredible. We, we truly are one of the best, if not the best high altitude mountaineering company in the world. Uh, and we're really good at what we do. That's just being fully candid. Uh, but I more or less am selling people to come and climb with us. And, and, um, you know, the, the lessons that I've learned knocking on doors have been, so incredibly helpful in, in in innumerable innumerable amount of ways dude that's so cool that's so cool and and we can keep talking about where those these parallels arise because there's a lot of things you can probably pull from those lessons as you yeah. were climbing maklu but let me dig into like the meat and potatoes of this because i want to know and i want to give it enough time to explain like what the hell is required like you you're the person to ask if if honestly in the world there's probably only like what a handful of people like that i can go how if i wanted to climb makalu or, or everest in this or whatever like what can you walk me through almost in painful detail and if this is boring to people i can't imagine how this could be boring but to me i'm super i want to know like i stayed zero andres scambo here and i call you i go griffin i want to fucking climb a mountain taller than any other mountain or most other mountains uh what do i do how, how does the process work and what's like the timeline walk me through all of yeah that. yeah totally so it's it's a dual-edged sword um on one end of the sword you have altitude and altitude experience and on the other end of the sword you have technical experience uh, so it's a little bit of both and and you're able to to gain technical experience as you gain altitude experience and so the first step is we i think of altitude in terms of six thousand meters seven thousand meters and then eight thousand meters uh, so six thousand meters is right above twenty thousand feet 7,000 meters is above 22,500 feet. Uh, and then 8,000 meters is right above 26,000 feet. Uh, and there's only 14 uh, 8,000 meter peaks in the world and they're all in Asia. So there's four peaks in Pakistan and then the rest are in Nepal and in Tibet in China. Uh, and so they all live in one region. And so to work your way up to 8,000 meters, you have to have climbed or it's best, the best way to set yourself up for success is to have climbed a couple 6,000 meter peaks, you know, going to Ecuador or Peru or Bolivia uh, are great places to climb 6,000 meter peaks. And then once you've kind of develop the skills at altitude at 6,000 meters, then you can look at a 7,000 meter peak, like Aconcagua is the tallest peak in South America. It's in Argentina. That's a, it's just shy of 7,000 meters. Like it's 40 meters shy of, of 7,000 meters, uh, or like Amada Blom or peak Lenin in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, and then, you know, once you kind of succeed at 7,000 meters, then you can start looking at 8,000 meter peaks with an air of, of experience, not only, you know, needing to learn how to climb with fixed lines and crampons, but also understanding what your body feels like when you're suffering at altitude. Altitude fucking sucks. There's no getting around it. And like the only place that you can experience, I think of proper altitude as anything above anything above 16,500 feet, which you can't find in the continental United States. The only place that there's like the tallest mountain in the continental United States is Mount Whitney and it's 14,500 feet, something like that. Uh, so you have to cute. go outside of the continental United States. Cute, super <laughs> cute. Like I was sleeping uh, at 18,900 feet for almost a month. Uh, and that's like almost as tall as the tallest mountain in all of North America. So it's just one of those like proper altitude is really hard. Um, and you have to learn how to how to suffer at that altitude. Like it, it's 
it's hard to explain. The best way to explain proper altitude is there's a tightness in your chest and it's hard to catch your breath. So I would be winded uh, putting my pants on in the morning at base camp. And so we were it's climbing. Like COVID. It's like having COVID. <laughs> exactly. Altitude is <laughs> like, like having COVID. <laughs> 24 hours a day and then you have to go do the hardest physical thing you've ever done in your life and then it only gets worse as you get higher and higher and higher up the mountain um but that's kind of the general the steps is is to do it right and that's the way that we you know for our our everest teams you have to have climbed uh, made an attempt at an 8,000 meter peak prior to climbing everest with us or have a really solid resume a climbing resume with a bunch of experience just because there are, are companies out there that you could pay you know $40,000 $40,000 to go climb with a Nepalese company that you've never climbed anything besides Everest and learn how to walk in crampons. And that's just the wrong way to climb the mountain. You shouldn't be learning anything new while you're trying to climb the tallest mountain in the world. And so we build Hold strong on. teams. Yeah. What are crampons? Crampons are the spiky things that you put on your boot to stick onto the ice. It's the the, the uh, simple way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm I'm a fucking idiot. Like I need to <laughs> I mean, there's people listening to this who's like, what an asshole. Like we don't do any pre-approach. This is supposed to be just a conversation to have beer. So this is the same <laughs> conversation I'd be having with you if I was at a bar uh-huh, with you in Tahoe. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. you can well, attest to this because we've had this. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so so okay, so the crampons, pointy things, you stuck on your feet, and that's and there's companies that you can pay forty grand and they'll take you up and well at least try to take you up and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, and whereas like my company, you know, like we're we're not cheap and and it's for good reason. It's we, I mean we provide right. the best logistics possible uh, and climb the mountain in a really unique style. So uh, Adrian, the founder of my company, he in two thousand fourteen started climbing uh, peaks in what we call the rapid ascent system. So we pre-acclimatize sleeping in hypoxic tents uh, in our beds uh, for for Everest and big expeditions for about two months before uh, we go. And we're able to sleep, you know, up to, I was sleeping at 18,000 feet before I left for Nepal from my bed in Tahoe at 6,000 feet. Uh, So there there are these crazy, bed tents that allow you to sleep at altitude and to pre-acclimatize, which allow us to climb the mountains really quickly. So the the average Everest itinerary is between 60, like 50 and 65 days. Uh, and our Everest itinerary is 35 days. In 2019, we had a, a client on the summit of Everest and back in the United States door to door in 14 days. Um, so we're able to climb these mountains really fast uh, by using this style that Adrian Holy kind of pioneered. Shit. Yeah. Okay. So as much as of this as you can, so there's probably some of this stuff you can't even share on the air because it's like kind of proprietary, I'm assuming, uh, if we go into too much detail or I don't know if that's like public knowledge or how does like, yeah, I don't know how much, can, I don't know how much of that stuff you can share. Like if I say, okay, I pay you, you, what does it cost? If I go with you guys, I call Apple, go eight, Griffin, eight, give me the Everest. Yeah. $85,000 is what we cost. Cool. So I write you a check or do you take cash? And then all of it. I'll take your money however you want to give it to me. <laughs> okay, so so I go, all right, Griffin, Pointy Tails Podcast sponsor XYZ wants to have a flag of their company at the top of Everest. So they're paying eighty five thousand dollars for us to go with you. So I call you and today is July. So now mm-hmm. what happens? What happens tomorrow? What happens next year? What happens? how does how does it work? It depends on how much time and financial ability you have. Um, you know, like the fastest 
period that I could get you to Everest and it is in about a year, but you'd be committing a lot of time to climbing and preparing. So, we, you know, we'd go at a minimum, a, a, a 16 day expedition to Ecuador, where we'd climb three peaks, Cayambe, Cotopaxi and Chimborazo, Chimborazo being 20,500 feet over 6,000 meters. And then we'd go to a peak and, uh, you know, we could, we could do that. We could do that in November. And then in December, January, February, we could go to Aconcagua and have you climb a 7,000 meter peak. Uh, and then then, you know, then the fastest way then would be to to climb Everest in a private setting with us in a one to one setting um, without having been to 8000 meters yet or have that big of a climbing resume. Um, and we could I could get you on to Everest in 2023 um, in, in that like fast track. But that's where the one to one setting we kind of it's just you and a guy, you and a private guide. And then we have, you know, private trip support as well. So you have the best support possible to help you climb this mountain uh that's really hard uh, it's it's funny being kind of on the you know coming up and like loving I, I started climbing my first week of college and fell head over heels in love with the climbing community and kind of fell into the idea that everest was this bullshit mountain that only you know like rich douchebags climb and like the like all like the negative vibe around Everest, I fully fell into that. And then you, you learn more about what this mountain is and, and the what it takes to climb these peaks. And it's still, I mean, the, the mountaineer's crown jewel. It's the tallest peak in the world. It's really hard and it takes proper guts and energy and suffering to climb this mountain. And we can give you all the support in the world, but unless you make the decision to summit uh, and put in the work to train and do all the things to get there, you're never going to do it. Um, so it's a real mountain and it's a cool thing to be a part of for sure. But it it definitely it can take some time to to get. I would say most people are climbing for two or three years with Everest in mind before uh, before they get to the mountain. Yeah, so it's not like it's not like, and and this is in no way an insult to people who run marathons, but it's not like you know I'm going to run a marathon and it's July, but in December I can run a marathon. In fact, in in six weeks you can almost train if you wanted it hard enough. It's not like that where totally. just like you decide and then next next week you're doing it. It's like a it's a project. It's an expedition for a reason, right? There's a lot of planning. Yeah. Right. It's, it's it. like you need to learn how to run before you can even run the marathon. Like think about running the marathon. Like you need to learn how to, get, right. to put your shoes on and you need to learn how to drink water. Uh, like eating at altitude right. sucks. Like you, you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to take a shit in a bag. Like you have to, there's like, you, there's things that you need to learn. Uh, and it's a whole process <laughs> before you can even think about going for the summit. Um, and it's a, it's a cool process. What do you eat? Uh, so on the mountain, like while you're up and it's awesome in, in base camp, we have uh, a three person cook staff. So we have like a main chef uh, and two kitchen helpers. Uh, and so we're eating like pizza, pasta, high carbs, high protein, uh, really great food. And then when you're on the mountain, you're eating as light as possible. So you're bringing your own snacks up to Sherpa, helping carry a lot, um, but you're eating dehydrated meals. So I had um, like a, a dehydrated breakfast one day um, and then uh, another pasta dish uh, that's just these like dehydrated meals that are in bags essentially they weigh less than a pound and all you need to do is heat up boil water uh and and pour them in the in these bags um but you know a lot of people will go and and vomit on the mountain like they'll eat 
altitude makes you nauseous. Uh, and so it's hard to keep things down. And what happens when you're at altitude is your, your body pumps more blood to your brain so that you're, you can function. And so it has less blood in your stomach to process the food that you're eating. And so then when you eat a big meal, uh, all the blood rushes to your stomach and it can make you nauseous and make you throw up. So it's kind of finding a, a, a meat, happy medium of, you know, eating enough food to have energy, but you really don't want to eat. Uh, you're, you're not hungry. It tastes bad. It feels bad in your stomach. Uh, everything, everything sucks at altitude. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't drink. You can't pee. It's all bad. Everything is bad, but it's awesome. <laughs> what if you, yeah. what it's, it's like selling books, but at a higher, at a much higher capacity. It's like nothing <laughs> fun. Like you eat and it hurts, you pee and it feels bad. Like every, it all, it's all bad. It's all, but, it's all bad, but it's awesome. There's so many ponies. But it's out awesome there at the sure. end. There's yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh man. So, this is, and I'm sure I'll have, I have a ton of questions and I'm sorry to like, no, of course, and, and fan, yeah. fanboy about this, but so when you're, I was, I was thinking, well, if, you, if you're short of blood, you should just like pump IV of your own blood that you took earlier. Duh. Um, <laughs> so you get extra blood. That doesn't work like that. Um, okay. So talk to me about your specific experience with, uh, with, um, with Bakalu and 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 when you found out that you were going to do that and then how and then I guess walk us through your specific journey if you and you yeah. documented it well we have pictures for this by the way too that we can share here on screen but if you guys want to see more of this you can go to Griffin's Instagram uh, that's at Griffin underscore Mims and you'll find a ton of of amazing footage and uh, photography that you took that you captured mm -hmm. there but yeah. uh, put me at the place where you're sitting at home you're sitting at work and. Adrian Bellinger, right? Is his name Adrian? Yeah, Adrian Bellinger, yeah, and, mm -hmm. or whoever it is, comes up to you and says, "Hey, we're going, we're doing, we're doing Makalu. Like, how does cool. when you got that green light, and then to when you came back home? Walk me through that journey. Yeah, yeah. So we, my company climbs Everest from the north side from Tibet, and uh, Tibet has still been closed through COVID. And so when uh, we weren't able to run an Everest expedition, we decided to run a Makalu expedition. Uh, and Adrian has cl tried to climb and ski Makalu twice before this expedition, tried uh, for the first time in 2012, uh, and then again in 2015. And in 2015, he was, he, they made the highest ski descent on the mountain. So they skied from just above 8,000 meters, uh, like just above 26,000 feet. Uh, he, and he did that with his partner uh, and now wife, Emily Harrington, who's an incredible climber. Uh, yeah. Small plug, They Adrian and Emily just have a, a an episode released today on HBO uh, about a climb that they just did in Kyrgyzstan. And the episode is epic it's absolutely bonkers what they just climbed in Kyrgyzstan. Go watch it. Um, it's called uh, yeah. Edge of the Earth. Um, and there, Emily, you're talking about today when we recorded this. So by the time people listen to this, it's been out, but still go check it out. out. Yep. Yeah. It's on HBO max. It's amazing. Edge of the earth. Um, it released July 26th. That's when we're recording. This. Yep. Yep. Um, but Adrian had tried to climb and ski the mountain twice before. And so he kind of had, um, you know, he knew the mountain, he knew that it was objectively safe for a team to go climb. And so we, uh, ended up having, uh, five different clients, if you will. Adrian was a, a, an athlete that was going with Eddie Bauer, uh, one of our other guides uh, and a really incredible athlete as well, Carla Perez. She was going to try to climb and ski or try to climb the mountain. And then we had two other Ecuadorians, um, 
uh, that were trying to make the the FKT, uh, and they the F, so FKT is short for fastest known time. So they're trying to climb the mountain from base camp to the summit and back and, and break the fastest known time, which they ended up doing. It was an incredible expedition. Um, and then we had an, another team on the mountain who was just trying to climb. Um, the guide, his name is uh, Esteban Topomena. He had some, he summoned the, he ended up summoning the mountain twice this season, almost three times. And then his client, her name is Christina and, and she's an incredible climber summited Cho'o'u, the sixth tallest peak in the world. And then Everest also with Alpenglow and then now Makalu. Um, so the, the team had a hundred percent success rate and, um, it was amazing to see these different athletes going with, uh, kind of their own objective, Adrian going to climb and ski the mountain, Carla going to climb the mountain without oxygen, without the use of supplemental oxygen, uh, and no support. And then, um, Carl and Nico, the two other Ecuadorian athletes climbing the peak without a supplemental oxygen as fast as they could, which was absolutely insane to watch. Um, fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. So, so they had, we had this, this expedition being planned and, you know, I'd been almost a year since I'd been on an expedition and I was wanting to go. And so I had thought of, oh, you know, like maybe I could pitch this idea of me going to to Makalu and you know like shooting photos for the athletes and getting content for Alpenglow and it'd be good for you know my job to be able to I'd never been to the Himalaya or to Nepal but here I was selling this product that I just had researched so much but never experienced for myself and so then um I decided to make a, a pitch and I sent it to the Alpenglow leadership and um for to send me to Makalu to go climb with Adrian and um they they liked the idea and so i was able i was fortunate enough to get to go and join the team uh so i i made that we left in april at the end of april and i think i made the pitch uh around like the first of march let's say like in early march so i had of, of this uh, year of 22 of this year yeah uh, maybe even okay. like late february so i had i had uh, about 50 days before the expedition to like train and get everything ready and um I spent 45 days sleeping in a hypoxic tent. Uh, I trained That's six crazy. days a week um, and just like fully put all of my energy into getting ready to climb this mountain. And so I, I was sleeping and it was hilarious. My my sleeping setup, I was sleeping in my house is a, has a massive garage. It's a, truly like a 20 foot tall garage. And I was sleeping in the garage in a camper in the tent. So I was sleeping in a camper, in a tent, in a garage, uh, for like, as I was pre-acclimatizing, um, and then acclimatized up to 18,000 feet and then went and flew into the, to the Kumbu and, and spent a couple of days trekking in Nepal. And I went from, uh, like 16,700 feet to 21,700 feet in about three days. So we flew via helicopter into the advanced base camp of Makalu, which is at 18,700 feet. Uh, or, sorry, 18,900 feet. And then um, I spent two days kind of resting and acclimatizing. And then it was off to the races. And Adrian and I went and climbed to 21,700 feet in Camp 2 uh, as Adrian went and carried his skis up to Camp 3 at 24,500 feet. So um, I went That's... really high, really fast. Yeah. Um, so we... Bro. Crazy. Um, and so I... I uh, climbed with Adrian and shot photos and created content with him and, and, um, was able to 
to watch him climb and, and work with our Sherpa. And it's amazing to see, you know, like I've worked with Adrian now for almost two years and um, you don't see athletes as they're performing very often, but you know that they're beasts. And I knew that Adrian was an animal, but I'd never seen him perform. And until I like saw him carry his skis up to 24,500 feet without oxygen, like it was nothing. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to put into words how difficult that was uh, for him. And so um, we made that first acclimatization rotation, climbed up to 21,700 feet. And then uh, we came back down to advanced base camp and rested for about seven days waiting for a weather window. And uh, this season in the Himalaya was was really interesting. There was about a 15-day period um, where the weather was more or less stable. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into climbing 8,000-meter peaks, but the biggest is the jet stream and watching the jet stream. So the jet stream flows at about 30,000 feet, which is right above the summit of Everest, uh, but dips down to about 25,000, 23,000 feet sometimes. <sighs> And so we're, we're literally watching the weather that's being forecasted for airplanes um, to figure out, you know, if the wind is good to climb <laughs> these days, which is crazy. And, uh, and so we waited for about a week and, oh my and, God. and talked about strategy and Adrian decided that uh, this weather window was going to be good enough for him to go and try to climb and ski this mountain. And so um, we, we left base camp on May 7th and climbed to 21,700 feet. And then from there, I spent the rest of my time on oxygen. So I, I had moved up the mountain really quickly. And so actually I slept on oxygen uh, the first night, that first night that I spent at 21,700 feet. And I think there's actually a video somewhere in, in one of yeah. the, the videos that I sent over of me just getting so let's, absolutely worked. <laughs> let's, let's toss it on the screen if we can. Um, and, and we'll check this out. So, um, and let me do it this way and I'll put, I'll, I'll take myself off this. You can still hear. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, so, the, right. so actually no, the I, 40, I have to stay on screen so I can hear you, but go ahead. The, the 40 second video here's the first one, um, that we can watch. Yeah. That one right there. Wow, dude, <sighs> this is crazy. Just made it to camp two, 21,700 feet or so. Now time to get warm, hunker down for the night. I'll be sleeping on oxygen because I've come quite high quite fast. So yeah, but feeling good, super psyched. You're about 1500 feet higher than I've ever been in my life. So yeah, long day, <laughs> quite hard, but I feel really good. Phew. So that was that was before everything was hard. Bro. Then we can watch one more, uh, the yeah, thirty-five second video. Um, yeah, this is bananas, dude. This one on like a small, like not even big, to like twenty-two thousand feet. I'm tired. Boiling water now. Starting to snow. Still have relatively long descent ahead, but it is almost to C three. 
Yeah. So as, as Adrian was climbing to camp three, I was just acclimatizing and, and sitting in this tent at 21,700 feet, just watching my, my O2 saturation levels go down, <laughs> which isn't good. Uh, but it's natural as you're, as you're climbing. Um, so I was just getting absolutely worked. So I slept on oxygen that night. And the crazy thing about the oxygen that we use in the Himalayas, it's the, it's, we, you take out all of the, the moisture in the oxygen bottles. And so it's incredibly dry. And this is so that we, it doesn't freeze up when you're in, in the really cold temps up high. Uh, and so the oxygen dries out your lungs and, uh, it's my mom and yeah, it's obviously his mom. The, the oxygen dries out your lungs and gives you a cough. It's, it's called the Kumbu cough. Um, but the oxygen combined with the, the dry air just makes you have a really heinous cough for a lot of people. And so the week that we spent at base camp waiting to go for the summit bid, I was trying to get over this really heinous cough that, um, you know, can be pretty debilitating. But I was, we have uh, one of the best high altitude doctors in the world. Her name is Monica and she's on our team and so you know with monica's help i was able to get over the cough and, and be fit enough to go with them on the summit bid and um was lucky enough to be able to be a part of that so um yeah on the on the summit bid, if we scroll down a little bit more um Dude, that's adrian climbing uh we can keep scrolling yeah just some of the like pretty fun look at that image right there like wow dude that is so cool There's the cough. The final steep bit for C2. Beautiful day. Great conditions. <coughs> Super stoked. Ew. Yeah, baby. Dude, that is crazy. Oh, man, dude. So, and so then your job to, while you were here, it was it, it basically capture these moments these these this expedition and i know there's a picture if we can go back to the beginning uh and then scroll through there's the first one that, you, that i saw was just majestic um right there this yeah and you took all yeah, these. so that this is i took all these yeah so that's that's amada bomb that's the the north face of amada bomb the mother necklace of the himalaya um and this was was taken as we were trekking so i mean the himalaya Dude. is the most stunning place on the planet it's hard to fathom the scale of these mountains. Uh, and I mean, this is, I'm going to bomb th this North face is a really technical, awesome climb. And we climbed the Southeast Ridge, just, just on the other side where the clouds are. And um, it's a incredible mountain that they really psyched to climb someday. But um, yeah, the Himalayas are, are, are absolutely bonkers. Um, so Dude. yeah. So my, my job That's was to, crazy. was to create content and, and, shoot photos and um if you keep scrolling amy we can find maybe some more that's a uh a crazy steep bit right right above where we started climbing um yeah just on the glacier there so we can Dude. yeah as, as we left for the the summit bid adrian left his skis at twenty four thousand five hundred feet and the goal was for him to ski the mountain he'd made two previous ascents uh attempts um without being able to reach the summit and um i was fortunate enough to be able to climb to twenty-five thousand feet uh on my 25th birthday it just like ended up working out that Dude. way um so <laughs> and 
I was talking about O2 sats. If you click on the, the photo with my finger and this little blue thing, uh, next, yeah, that one. Um, so if you can see, I think that says my O2 sats are 59. Yeah. So your, our, our oxygen saturation levels right now are around 97, 98, 99. Uh, yeah. and if you would present this to anyone in the medical field and you're presenting like below, like in the eighties, they'd like freak out in the emergency room thinking that you were dying. And so this is my yeah. oxygen, my O2 sats <laughs> sitting at, at 25, 24,500 feet. Crazy, dude. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy, dude. We, uh, I talked about this on the show last time, or I think one of the last few episodes, but I was having some weird heart palpitation stuff, um, in May actually. And like, all through the spring and my blood oxygen would drop to 80 and my doctor when i told that to the doctors they were like why didn't you go to the hospital so that's 80 is bad enough when you look at 59 you're dying dude you're dying you're literally yeah. dying what the hell is wrong yeah. with you yeah crazy holy um, shit but, that's crazy <laughs> but was feeling pretty good and there's a, a rad video amy if you go back out let's see if we can find it um that two minute 32 second video um this is the climb going from camp two to camp three uh, and it's about 2,000 feet of steep uh pretty vertical rock and ice climbing uh and hard snow climbing and it was this is what we did on my birthday uh, so that's adrian ahead of me um and this is about 45 50 degrees uh and i think i twirl around here um but i'm breathing really hard uh using oxygen and this is like the hardest thing that i've ever done in my life and adrian is doing it without oxygen and let me tell you oxygen makes you feel like a superhero uh, you just fully are on a different level than than everyone that's not climbing without oxygen and adrian and our two sherpa uh dorji sonom sherpa and uh and piso uh piso pasang sherpa um just are the strongest humans that I've met in my entire life. Uh, the Sherpas truly, no one would climb in the Himalaya without the Sherpa. I cannot talk highly enough about the Sherpa. We would not be here without them. They are the strongest humans I've met ever. They are incredible. I mean, Dorje um, has summited Everest 19 times uh, and is a 43 year old man uh, and is strong as a horse. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty, I mean, incredible thing to be able to work with these, with these guys. So, and um, we, we climbed to, uh, our high camp C3 at 24,500 feet. And that was my high point. Um, so I, I wasn't destined to go to the summit. Uh, we didn't have the support for me, uh, to go and then not reach the summit. Um, so I stayed at high camp and my goal was to try to fly the drone and create content, uh, and then also to support Carl and Nico on their summit bid. So, uh, they, they ended up summiting on the same day as Adrian. Um, and, uh, and so we, um, climbed to 25,000 feet and then I kind of bid Adrian, Dorje and Piso, uh, adieu. There's Adrian getting ready. Um, oh, wait. Sorry, I went and right, Amy uh, dropped off, so I'm doing all this now. But, dude, this is so. This is the two and a half minute video. This is you climbing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can God. skip in and what see. In the world. In here, okay. Dude, this is insane. <laughs> this is crazy, Gryffindor. Crazy. 
when you when you look at these images do you think like what is what does you what do you recall like what are you the feeling what emotions were you feeling at this point here just like stoked and um focused just like lasered in like i was trying to keep up with one of the best mountain athletes in the world i mean like adrian has set several records on 8000 meter peaks the guy has summited everest eight times before this uh and in my mind i'm thinking three things one don't die two you need to keep up and three don't forget to take your camera out every once in a while uh and so i was just trying to do all that i could to keep up and climb and and uh i mean it was it was my birthday so i was just fully living the the I mean, it was a dream it was such a dream and this was fucking the, insane the coolest climb that i'd done in my life i mean the the what we're climbing right now andres if you go back out i think okay. i included the video um scroll up a bit maybe uh a little bit more i think it's coming up soon there's a video that shows the full face of what we were just climbing somewhere up here a little bit more it's a drone shot um anyways just like a crazy face uh down no that's me this uh there the 22nd yeah yeah what the fuck, dude so this was taken as adrian was carrying his skis up up the mountain and so this like steep serac these are is all the glacier and then this rock band that you see here coming into view that's what we were climbing and that little speck right in the middle that's adrian uh, and so right there that that right there yeah and so we well, climbed it looks like a flea it looks like a flea in your milk crazy yeah so it, it was a like the the hardest and most engaging climb that i'd done um and you know you're you're trying right hard physically yeah right there and so That's this him. rock band that Holy you see above shit. what we were climbing in the previous video right um yeah and so you, you know you're you're physically exhausted from the what you're trying to do and then you also have the added you know crutch of of um altitude like it's really debilitating being that high and so that's adrian that's adrian ballinger um the founder of my company and, and my boss uh and friend <laughs> but um truly an incredible wow. incredible human yeah so he he went on to to climb and uh and reach the summit our team our team fixed the ropes to the summit and so we led and, and fixed everything to the summit kind of leading the way and it was the first time that mako had been summited in three years it hadn't been summited since 2019 and so um dorje uh adrian and piso uh they climbed to the summit and then adrian put on his skis about 10 meters below the summit and if you keep scrolling down i've got some ski photos of adrian um, yeah, I was say, I, I, well, first of all, I want to show this really quick. Damn, dude, that's such a sick picture. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so that's that's the high camp. So that's Makalu, the what you see there, and then the twenty-seven second video that's next to it. Um, that's him skiing. Oh. Uh, no, that's that's me in the morning, uh, and behind me that's Everest and Lotse right there. So Everest is the peak on the right, Lotse is the peak on the left. 
in the background, you can see uh, Kanchenjunga, the third tallest peak in the world, and then behind me is Makalu. So this was the sunrise that morning, and as you can see, my mind is just like being <laughs> completely blown. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's Everest uh, in the background. So hang on a sec. You're telling me right here, right there, that's Mount Everest mm -hmm. right here? That's Mount oh, Everest, nice. and then right next to it is Lhotse, or the yeah, fourth tallest peak big. in the world. It doesn't look that big, no. <laughs> From 25,000 feet up. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, 25,000 feet is like, for people who might like to give you an idea, like like that's almost two times as long as like the Indianapolis Speedway, like two laps around it or whatever. That's like, it's it's like 70% of as deep as the Mariana Trench. It's fucking, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of ways. Yeah, it's there. high. That's crazy. <laughs> Hi, for sure. Dude, yeah, so then Adrian went on Anna. went on to the summit, put his skis on about 10 meters below the summit. And sure uh you were beautiful images at Gryffindor. Very proud of your yeah. photography. Yeah, thanks. And uh there's the skis. There's Dude. the skis. So there's Adrian skiing from from Camp Three. So he he skied and then uh met me and uh, spend about an hour. I made him hot coffee and, you know, kind of like we read, he rested for about an hour and then we got ready and, and then it was time for him to make the rest of the ski descent. So this steep rock bit, everything that you saw in the video that we like the steep video, the, that like pretty bonkers video, Adrian yeah. did on skis. Um, and he repelled he went a lot down of it. that on ski with, yeah. I mean like, oh like right there, if he, God. if he would fall, if he would fall, there's He's a, the climber in, in the yellow suit, like where that where the, that is, is there's about 200 meters of snow underneath that, and then a 300 like a 3,000 foot cliff. Um, so like for for about I think it was a 8,000 foot ski descent. Um, for about 8,000 feet, he was in no fall zone for the entire time. Uh, so it was like one of the, the the craziest things that I'd experienced in my life. And I think there's a video up here somewhere of, of me kind of sharing that. Yeah, this might be it. One of the scariest things I've ever done. <laughs> one of the cooler repels I've ever done. Dude. Dude is fucking doing it on skis. No way. No way, it's dude. Fucking insane. What the fuck? Going into the abyss. We go. Oh my god. Adrian Bonder is a beast. Dude, what in the fucking world is this? This is crazy. It's crazy. So there is. I mean, like, as you can see there, there's Adrian passing a, a Sherpa from another team coming up. Um, but it was, I mean, five hours, six hours. He summited, let's see, he summited around 9 a.m. And we got back to base camp at like 8 p.m. Um, and so he, he left, they left uh, our high camp at, at 12 a.m. He made it down off the last repel. Whoa. That was the most real thing I've ever done in my life. Adrian's fucking doing it on skis. Dude. I'm really happy to be here. 
Wow, holy <laughs> fuck. I'm not like, just like here, like alive. Dude. That's... Yeah, so it's like whiteout conditions, like can't see, like can't see shit. Um, and Adrian's repelling on skis and he's doing it without oxygen. And so like everything, I, I can't, I can't tell you how much harder it was what Adrian and the Sherpa did. Uh, they, they, they took their oxygen off at 24,500 feet. They climbed at 24,500 feet without oxygen. Like the, what they were doing and what these people do at altitude is absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, pretty incredible. And so this is all below camp two. And I, I, this light, these photos that you're seeing, the, I crashed my drone, like right before the most beautiful light I'd seen in my entire life, like appeared through the clouds. And I, I fully botched it and crashed my drone, which is another lesson that I learned from the book, the book field is you just kind of got to keep your head up and keep going. You get a door slammed in your face and you never know what lies behind the next door. And you, you do with what you can. So that's a that's a selfie of me after getting back to base camp. Um, I didn't climb to the summit, but I was awake the entire time that everyone was climbing to the summit, and I, I didn't include the the time lapse. But I took a time lapse of me sitting in the tent, and I I, I spent seven hours just sitting in the tent, freezing my ass off, hoping that everyone above me was doing okay, and like getting radios of like, oh, we made it to the French couloir, which is the crux of the climb. So crux is like the hardest part of the climb. So they made it to the French couloir and I'm just like listening on the edge of my seat at 25,000 feet, like freezing my ass off of my tent, wishing that I was climbing with them, but knowing that I was <laughs> supporting the team the best that I could by hanging out and, and, and not being a liability, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, Adrian made the first ski descent of Makalu uh, from the summit. He put on the skis about 10 meters from the summit. He took off his skis for about a 60-meter rappel in the French couloir and then left his skis on for the, the duration of the of the ski descent from there. So, I mean, truly, like a, it was the first time that that had ever been done. That same day, Carl and Nico uh, climbed the mountain and back from the summit, uh, like base to base, uh, in 26 hours um in a single push without oxygen and they only had three days of rest they made an attempt three days earlier and, and failed and came back down and, and recovered and then went and climbed to the summit um it, incredible i mean they're, they're amazing athletes and then carla and uh carla and topo made the summit without oxygen and then topo and christina also made the summit with oxygen so the entire alpango team um uh, that was meant to reach the summit, reach the summit. And uh, it was it was an incredible expedition. One of the, I mean, the hardest things that I've ever done for sure, just suffering for a month, but a incredible experience and such a beautiful way to experience the world. And you're, you know, I mean, you're living the entire time, you're fully in it. Uh, and it was a, a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm grateful to have been a part of it and to have been able to shoot photos and help tell the story of this historic ski descent for sure dude <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking crazy man you you and adrian know that whole alpha glow folks y'all are that's why we're, you need to be crazy to climb out everest though so uh-huh is that what's next yeah. is that what's next 29 it's definitely on the tick list yeah i'd love to be able to i mean i think it'd be fun to the rest of my life turn 
my age at that appropriate feet. I think it'd be hard to, <laughs> hard to do, uh, but definitely planning. I've got it marked in my calendar already, uh, trying to be on the summit of Everest uh, for my 29th birthday. Everest is 29,032 feet. Uh, so I'd love to to be on the summit of Everest as I turn 29. And it's possible actually that Adrian is summited on May 8th before, um, which is my birthday. Uh, so it would be a, a cool thing we'll have to see, but definitely Everest is on my tick list uh, uh, among you know a handful of, of other mountains, but uh, yeah. Dude, you are a freak of nature, Gryffindor. I'm, and I take no offense that uh, that you, you said that was your favorite climb uh, in your life. No offense taken from. I'm sure your second favorite was the Machu Picchu climb. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Andres and I. Uh, Opposite. Let no planning. <laughs> a lot more planning. Andres and I like. <laughs> completely winged that uh, trek up to, up to Machu Picchu in Peru after I finished up my time in Patagonia. And uh, there's a lot more planning that went into Maklu than our Peru trip, that's for sure. There was planning in general. There was no planning. We had <laughs> no. the opposite of what you just said. Everything. We spent an hour on this. The opposite of that was what happened oh, in Machu man. Picchu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh in case you don't want to go back and listen to that first episode long story short in september of 2017 no 18 2018 because I, I graduated college that's right in 2018 griffin saw me in the middle of the union and it's like hey i'm going to columbia and i said okay i'll go with you he goes okay i'm leaving like tomorrow so you need to commit to coming with me to Machu Picchu like today i said fuck it let's go so that's it he told me where he was going to be uh on december 14th in Cusco, Peru, and I had to get yeah. to him, and that was it. That was literally <laughs> that was all the planning that <laughs> we did. <laughs> uh -huh. And on December fourteenth, there you were at the airport in Cusco. And well, we and the crazy other. thing is, I, I, so I finished up my trip to Patagonia. I'm flying to Peru, and I'm I'm checking into my flight, and for some reason, my ticket like wasn't valid. Something was happening with my ticket. My phone was dying. My phone, I, my phone ended up dying and then not turning on again. So I, I message Andres with like 1% battery. Left. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be late, but I'm going to be there sometime in the next 12 hours. Don't leave the airport. And then I don't talk to Andres for like, for like 10 hours. Uh, and I fly in, I fly into this airport in, in Peru and I'm like, Oh fuck. I hope I find Andres. Like I have no way to communicate with him. My phone's not working. Uh, and I see, sure enough, see Andres looking out the window of this cafe and every flight that had come in for the last like 10 hours, Andres just looked out the window looking for me. <laughs> and, uh, and then we just went on this crazy, yeah, incredibly spontaneous adventure in Peru and Colombia. We had no hotel <laughs> planned. No, like literally zero Nothing. things planned. The whole attitude Nothing was fuck planned. it. <laughs> literally yeah. was our motto. Oh man, that was yeah. great. So up. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I take no offense to Makalu became your favorite climb ever, but uh, but I hope at least Machu Picchu is in your top five by the time you die of For old sure. age, yeah, of, of a life well lived and captured by your beautiful photography, my friend. That I am yeah. so proud of you. I gotta say, uh, I wanted to, and I told you I wanted to take some time really quick to give you a shout out, uh, before we move on. Of course, I want to hear more stories about climbing and stuff, uh, maybe some book stories here and there, 
Uh, mm-hmm. and, but uh, but I do got to say, you know, we we I sat down with you and you might you mentioned this, but um, I don't think I ever told this side of the story. I just heard it from you. But I, I just remember thinking when you got done selling books, and this is a theme that we've talked about quite a bit here. But this is a theme that applies to life in general, and you're a testament of this. Where it's like, if you're unhappy with your life, you got to take a chance on your on you and believe in yourself and. Um, Cell Plus Run wasn't for everybody, and uh, you did you did you did you did a one full summer. You finished what you said you were going to do, and you and you and I saw you worked your ass off during it, and and deal with your challenges that you had during that summer, and then you didn't want to come back. And I thought that was cool. And I know there were some people in the company who were like, "Ah, oh, you know, he should have came back. He should have done more." But I understood that you had bigger things, and I, I remember just asking you. I I could tell you weren't happy that year after. I'm like. Ah, dude, I'm no longer in Southwestern. Uh, so this isn't coming from a place of like trying to recruit you into this. I'm just literally, I remember asking you, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You, you asked me, what the fuck are you doing? And it, it was, it's a question that's changed my life, truly. Like it, it's so cliche, but that was kind of the first time that I really questioned what I was doing. I mean, I talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but I was, I was dating a girl that was a long distance relationship and like our plan was for me to go to grad school, like us to go to grad school together. And I was going to work at a university the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. you, you, I just could the, see it. <laughs> yeah. You're the first person to like ask me straight up, like, what are you doing? And like, is this what you're meant? Is this all that you're meant to do? Like you're not meant like you're meant to do more. And that was the first time that I ever like questioned my reality, I suppose, of like the goals that I was doing. And I mean, like, everyone, any, everyone that signs up to do Southwestern Advantages has some ambition. Like it takes courage to want to knock on doors and sell books to people. And so everyone is ambitious, but like that at that moment, I questioned what like my ambition was like, was this what I wanted to put my energy into for the duration of my life? Or did I want to go do something else that seemed more fun, less monotonous and boring to me? And that you asked me that question in, I don't know, August of 2018 in October, I bought a camera and and decided that I was going to not go to grad school and I was going to go move to the mountains and do it like that. That was the, the, the impetus of the change in my life. Um, was just asking my, like having you ask me, what are you doing? Well, and I remember, and again, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is a lesson for people like who are stuck in a job that they hate or in a relationship that they know they shouldn't be in. It's easier said than done. And I'm, I'm, I just wanted to say, I'm proud of, of, of what you have accomplished and what you're accomplishing and where you're going because I just remember sitting down with you and I, I talked to you and it, it's not that you didn't like what you were doing. It, it would be a lie to say that you, you weren't necessarily in a position that you hated your life or you hated relationship. I don't, I don't want to seem like, uh, yeah, no, that totally. was you, I, but, but, but what I did know is, and remember, I remember this is what I said to you is like, dude, I have seen you talk about something electrically. Like I had climbed, I had gone rock climbing with you on campus. We had done, a couple of things hung out a couple of different occasions and I had seen you be excited about things. And then I had also seen you talk about what you're doing for work and where, and, and, and like the things that you were doing in your life. And I'm like, that is not the same fucking person. Like when, sometimes when you talk about X, Y, Z, you light up like a Christmas tree. And then sometimes when you talk about what you're doing now, it's not the same. So what the fuck are you doing? 
Like, yeah. why don't you just go do that? And I, and I asked him like, what do you want? If, you, if money wasn't a problem, if you knew you couldn't fail, like, what would you do? And you said photography. I'm like, have mm-hmm. you been a photographer before? And you said, no. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, well, you should go fucking buy a camera and start doing that, but stop doing this. Cause you're not happy here. Like I, yeah. I could tell. And it's so funny because that's, I mean, I didn't think that that was going to do anything. I was just like, I mean, I say that to people as, like an asshole all the time. And so, yeah, but, totally. but, but it takes those people. You bought a camera. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, it takes those people. Like, like I asked that question to a really dear friend of mine a while ago, like, what are you doing? And she's like, I haven't been asked that before. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Like, well, what are you doing? Like, what is like, I, it can, it's so open-ended that it really fucks people up. And I've been asking that question ever since you asked that to me in the small chance that someone takes it as meaningful as I did to being like, oh man, like, what am I doing? Like, is this what I want to do with my life? And Right. you have the opportunity to change it which is i think the coolest right. thing and and, and w- one of the things that i learned with with i actually just on my snapchat timeline there's a video of me doing a backflip off of a zip line from a family that i've sold books to in, in like rural vermont uh and before i like go to do this backflip off of the zip line i say i said action cures fear and it's true like do go do it doesn't matter like go action do it do it like you think that you want to go do something fucking do it what are you waiting for absolutely the only reason the only way that you're going to do anything in life is to do and i mean that like has fully shaped my life and here i am a kid from Kearney, nebraska with cornfields surrounding him climbing some of the biggest mountains in the world and helping people climb the biggest mountain in the world it's pretty it's it's been a crazy journey Ah, gosh. And I'm glad you say that because, again, I just want to repeat, I am so stinking proud of you um, that, like, you know, you you decided to take it fucking face on and say, you know what, I'm going to pursue this. You started doing photography that year, and then now you're taking these amazing images of world-class athletes doing amazing, amazing things in the fucking Himalaya. Like, this like, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, dude. I'm so proud of you. you. I'm honored. I'm a big fan of you. Yeah. Uh, you're a fan of Adrian. I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of what yeah, you are doing. You. And, I'm, uh, and I'm so excited. Uh, you just send me a picture. Just write like, write Ponytails Podcast. This is for you when you're at the top of Everest. And just fucking, that'll be our cover picture forever. I will. Because <laughs> <laughs> you climbed that pony, baby. You got up on that pony and you rode it like a yeah. fucking yeah. horse. I knew yeah, I knew right. that pony was out there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that is yeah, thank you. That's so cool. a lot, truly. Yeah. So so cool, sir. Well, damn. Um, well, let's get into some ponytails. I think this is probably a good time. Uh, I'm gonna share a couple of more of our of our friends here on the show. If you got to take a potty break or get more beer, feel free. Uh, but if you got like some cool stories, whether they're from the book field or related to the book field or like you know uh something something connected uh you can share those yeah. uh i'm gonna get do a quick shout out to some more of our friends i got a few to go through here and some of their words of wisdom um so guys as i was telling you guys cardinal is crushing it at selling life insurance and the way they approach your business is how many of you should make you know should if it makes sense so quentin's biggest technical advice when in business is to become a broker after all you don't actually work for the company you think you're working for you work for a client so when you're able to truly look at their needs and best serve them with a product or service that's really specific to them, they sleep better at night knowing that out of all the available options, they got the best one with you. And so you're able to sleep at night knowing you did 
what's best for them while also having more money to take care of your own special needs. So serve your clients um, and they will uh, happily do business with you. And then, of course, want to give a shout out to Southwestern Real Estate. Pat Roach is one of our biggest fans. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had several of their agents here on the show. We love what they're doing and the way that they approach their business. But we've loved, of course, working with Pat and interviewing uh, people like Chris Q, Meredith Kelly, Tim and Sarah Goss, Grant Greeter. Um, host of other people, Chris Q, of course, is one of the first few people we had on here. Meredith is one of our oldest, oldest uh, back like episode six, I think, or something like that. So we love you guys all. But uh, what do they do to find success so consistently? So 150 coffee dates or lunches per year. That's it. That's how they do it. So they each follow a system where they, if they sit down and build relationships with 150 people in a year, they will stay in front of uh, of mind with enough people that dozens will come to them by their home or sell their home or refer a friend who will taking uh, Meredith, for example, she says that it's not even like working. Many other agents join Southwestern Real Estate simply knowing that they get to live a life on their own terms while they'll succeed. And of course, they make a ton of money doing it, uh, where a lot of people don't actually do so well once they say get started. So let's put you in touch with Pat to learn more about working with them. It's such a cool team to be a part of, guys. Um, and Pat is running a ship there where the culture is incredible. Um, I want to share a little bit more also about our website. Uh, guys, of course, you can go to the ponytailspodcast.com, sign up for a newsletter. This goes to Griffin, too, by the way, or anybody listening. Uh, if you guys want to hear what's going on in the show, keep up with what we're doing, hear more of these words, wisdoms from different industries, from our sponsors. Of course, keep track of your units, Y O U N I T S. Uh, you can go check out the Colts, <laughs> C O L T. Everything here is horse themed. You can check out the Colts. Uh, that's going to be our newsletter. It's free. You can sign up. You're not going to get any sort of like gimmicky things to sign out for no credit card information or any of that shit. Um, you might see every once in a while, some of our merch or some merch, merch of the ponytails podcast you can buy, but don't worry. It's just more, it's just more for our fans to get and keep, uh, you know, in touch with us and keep up to date with what's going on here on the show. That's going to be once a month that goes out, but that was in part brought to you by uh, Oscar and Oliver over V Designly. They did our online presence, and we definitely would recommend uh, you guys improve yours by reaching out to them and seeing how they can help you if it makes sense for you. Um, also, shout out to Enlight Energy, solar company that we've partnered with some, from way, way back in the day. Um, you know, they uh, they have been built with uh, through Julio Hernandez, Nick Taverdi, and uh, Alex Black. Um, and of course, Right now, the solar industry is like the Wild West. So some companies are overcharging their clients by lying through their teeth and sometimes not on purpose and recruiting all their bros to do the same. So when you get into the industry like that, it's important that you work and learn from people who aren't just, you know, doing it as a fad at Enlight. Their leadership with uh, Julio has over 35 years of experience in solar and is dedicated for the long haul. So join them at a hot time in the industry where homeowners are reaching out in droves just to learn more about a way to save money. It's not even about people don't even care about saving the planet anymore. So it's sad to say they want to save money. And now it makes sense to save the planet and save money at the same time. And that's what they're doing at Enlight Energy. So make sure you get to uh, get on their team. And then last but not least, of course, one more time, uh, Cardinal, um, they started advertising with us a few months ago. I think they've recruited four people now through uh, through the show. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to learn more about why so many people are joining their team, especially through here, just uh, reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with them. Their agents on average or their top agents are earning 15000 12 to 15000 per week, uh, averaging about 30 to 
34 hours of work. So pretty solid life insurance industry is that way. So of course, we mentioned before that they're growing, we can put you in touch with them so you can learn more about their opportunity. Um, so that is all for now. So now back to Mr. Griffin Mims. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you have one story or several stories, but uh, this is an opportunity to share some of maybe uh, specific experiences or learning lessons or impactful moments or crazy opportunities, both on the book field um, or on your uh, climb on Makalu or, you know, how one intertwined with the other. I don't know, but the mic is yours, my friend. Uh, Griffin Mims and your ponytails. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the ponytail that came to mind um, on the last episode, I talked about how I dropped a full bag my second day in the field. Um, <laughs> but this one came a little bit later. I was in rural Vermont and I, I think I had, it was like day, maybe my, my second day where I, I hadn't sold anything and I was feeling really shitty and was like, all my friends, I think were like, I, I was just, I was not working. I was sitting in my car, not doing anything, just feeling bad for myself and being a piece of shit. And I remember like, like crying in my car being like, what am I doing? I don't want to be here, but I promised myself and my friends that I would do this thing. Like, like I'm not going to fail at this. It feels like I'm failing right now. Um, and I, I remember sitting in my car and being like, okay, I just need to go knock on a door. Like that's Danny says, Danny was my manager. I was really grateful to have Danny Gamble as my manager. And I mean, of course to have Andres as well as my roommate at the time. Um, but Danny was just like, dude, just like go knock on a door. That's all you have to do. Like, you don't have to like, don't sweat anything. Just go knock on a door. So I got out of my car, like drove up to the house, like the house that I'd mapped out or the neighborhood that I mapped out. Um, and I knocked on this door and it was a teacher. Uh, and I ended up having a like great conversation with the teacher, sold books to her. Uh, she gave me epic beta on like everyone in the street, like betas climbing terms for information. So like gave me like all the beta, <laughs> gave me all the pre-approach for the entire, the entire street. And then I ended up selling the next two doors after her that I talked to immediately. Like I sold three doors back to back to back. And that had never happened to me my, like the entire time that I sold books. And um, I, I remember like leaving the third house and like going back to my car to like drive into the next neighborhood and just sitting down and being like, I can't believe that that just happened. I, I, I cannot believe that that just happened. An hour ago, I was sitting in my car crying and I just sold like, I don't know, like 150 units. Like I dropped like books, like I made good money. Like I, like <laughs> I sold three houses in a row to like a teacher, a family with two kids and then another family that unfortunately I don't remember, but like three houses, like back to back to back. And that was kind of like what solidified that lesson. I mean, I think was really like the turning point to my summer was that moment of like i'd spent this hour two hours whatever it was in my car feeling sorry for myself i made the decision to go knock on a door and to take a chance and to believe in myself and then i sold three houses back to back to back and it was just a lesson of you never know what's going to happen when you ask and when you try like that you, you have to try if you think that you're gonna go sell books for a summer and just like go through the motions you you're going to hate it. It sucks. Selling books fucking sucks. But if you make it, 
good for yourself and you work hard, it's the same thing with life of like, you just have to go make the decision to do something. And it was the same thing. Like I took that, that lesson into my everyday life and ended up changing my life forever. Uh, another moment of that, I was in Yosemite National Park and it was my first time in Yosemite. We were sitting in front of El Cap, uh, El Capitan, and, and I saw this person swinging from the base of El Cap off of a rope. And I was like, I want to go do that. So we went back to our campground, got my climbing gear, hiked up to the base, found this rope just attached to the wall on El Cap, and then ended up swinging like 300 feet off the ground. It's called the alcove swing, like swinging off of El Cap. And it, it blew my mind again at that moment because the only thing that put me there, the only reason I had that experience at that time was me making the decision to do that. I was like, I want to do that. So I'm going to do that. And then I did it. And it blew my mind that this was free. Anyone could do this. This rope was just sitting there. And there are millions of people that come to Yosemite National Park a year. And at that moment, me and my two friends were the only person having this absolutely bonkers experience swinging off of uh, a 3000 foot rock cliff in Yosemite National Park, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, so that was kind of my pony, like, like my pony was those three doors that I knocked on that the difference between me having a good day and a bad day and me having an interesting life and a plain boring life that I just let pass me by is the decision to do like action, do action cures fear, make the decision to do something. And that was, I mean, something that I have carried into my life. And it is the only reason that I was able to go on Makalu is I, I wanted to go. And so I, you know, worked hard to, to make that happen and in a couple of different ways and was fortunate to be supported by the company that I work for and work for a really incredible company with incredible people to support me in that vision. And, um, you know, I, I hope to be able to carry that throughout the rest of my life is do make the decision to do live life. We're going to die someday. Everyone does. You might as well live an interesting life before you, that happens. And the only way that you're going to do that is to take action before. So yeah, kind of a soapbox there, but like that changed no, my dude. life. No, dude, that's great. And and on that follow-up question to that, because I think that's beautiful, the lesson that you're sharing with us, what would you say to someone who's going, yeah, but I'm scared or yeah, but what if it doesn't work? What if they didn't answer that first though that you knocked out? What if, what if they had told you, no, you can't for, you know, shoot our, shoot our trip to Makalu. What if, what if there would have been no rope to jump off of? What do you do then? Yeah. And, and it's okay to be scared. I mean, everything in life is scary. I was scared when I was climbing Makalu. I'm scared. Every, I was scared yesterday climbing a route that I have been working on for a year. Uh, it's okay to be scared and it's okay to have rejection, but you just have to keep going and find the next door. And even having the the courage in quotation marks to like take a leap of faith and put yourself out there that you should focus on making like having the ability to make the decision and then the outcome of the decision is just a cherry on top if you get to go do that thing like that, that i i had a a friend of mine who's now a close friend um but before i went to makalu he was saying like oh dude like you're having your moment like this is a moment for you but I hadn't put in any of the hard work yet. Like all that I had done was made the opportunity for me to go to Makalu. I hadn't made it to the mountain yet. I hadn't shot any photos yet. I could have completely failed and not done anything well. I could have gotten sick and not been able to climb. I could have looked like a complete idiot on the mountain and my boss could have told me to stay in base camp. Like I hadn't had my moment yet. And so you need to just have like come in with the confidence that you can make the opportunities that you need in life to continue on to live an extraordinary life 
and you need to be able to put the work in so that when the time comes that that door when that door opens and that family does buy you have put in the work with all the people that said no to you all the ideas that didn't work out everything that's failed with an understanding and confidence that at one point in time because you made the decision to try to do this thing it's going to happen and it's okay to be scared i get scared all the time that's why i love climbing like i i can climb a an easy route outside and still get scared and still feel like I climbed the hardest thing that I've ever climbed in my life because you're overcoming fear. It's that action cures fear. And it's so true. Uh, it's so true. And like the sales managers say it and it sounds like bullshit, but really you don't know until you knock on the next door and you see something happen for you. Um, it's I, yeah, that's, that's how I would respond. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Take that fear. <laughs> Fuck you fear. That's what it is. Yeah. FYI. And, fuck you, fear. Fuck you, fear. And and it's like it's okay to be afraid, but to not do something because you're afraid. Like I, I don't know how many of you on that listen to this podcast are climbers. If you haven't gone climbing yet, you really should try. Um, but when you yeah. lead climb, when you lead climb, you you fall the distance to your next protection. So you can take like between like a two to like fifty foot fall, depending on how far your your protection is, and the fear of falling. Falling is an innate part of climbing. Everyone falls. Alex Honnold falls. Like you, you, you fall when you when you climb, and every time falling is scary. Anyone who says that falling isn't scary is lying. Falling innately as a human being is scary, but you get used to that fear. You get used to that feeling of like, oh shit, I really don't want to fall right now, or like that feeling of like, hey. You need to be really calm right now because if you fell right now, it actually would not be good. Like that happens to me often and it happens to every climber often. Like it's just an innate thing. And I think that everyone that listens to this podcast, if you sold books, I think that you would love climbing because it has this, the physical aspect of it. It has the fear aspect of it. And it has this accomplishment feeling that every top, the, the top of every route that you climb, you feel accomplished because you accomplished something. You fucking climbed something. And climbing is meaningless. It's bullshit. But it gives this self-confidence that's so powerful. And you get used to the fear. And you get used to this thing. And it's okay to be afraid, but go for it. Like, fucking rip. Go for it. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I've learned through from climbing in Southwestern. And that's how I'm, I'm here right now is, is, I mean, yeah, it's being able to go for it. Like fucking well, live life. Can I tell you a story and we'll end it with this. This is, you yeah. just, you just, it just brought me to this story. I think I might've told this on the show before, but who knows? Not everybody listens to every episode, but you just said something that reminded me of a story with Danny actually. And I, I kept saying for the longest time, well, because I was selling books still when I when I met you and we were climbing. And I'm like, I mm -hmm. think every book person or anybody who has sold books before, I mean, really everybody should go rock climbing because the similarities are, it's just you versus you, really. You think, it, no, what it really is, every hold is like a door. And you're just like, you're whether it's, it's not getting you to the top, but it's getting you closer, even if it's a no, it's getting you closer to whatever. But eventually one of them is going to knock you off. You're going to fall, right? And it's like this fear and you, that's, that's, that's the fear you get to overcome with yourself because you're going to fall anyway. So might as well, like you're going to fail, right? And I took my brother and Danny doesn't like climbing. I loved climbing too. When I started climbing, I was like, oh man, this is so cool. It's such a cool sport. Love it. Love learning. You get, it gets, it's always more challenging. There's always someone better than you. And 
Danny, we were climbing and I, I convinced him to go climbing. He he gets down, we get done, and he's just kind of looking up at the wall. And it's this like 40 foot wall there at UNL. It's nothing too amazing, but it's it's a nice climbing gym. And mm-hmm. and he goes, dude, uh, and he was training for a marathon too. So he's like, dude, humans were made for running, not for climbing. Like th- this is uh, the reason I don't like this is because there's like it's not innate for us to like it's not in our instinct to climb. It's like we we're like we're like the by far we're the we're better at long distances than any other animal on the planet. In fact, we're not meant to climb. That's what monkeys do. Like we're supposed to run. And I thought about this and I was like, you know what, Danny? Like you're right. You're right. We were not made to climb, but mountains were made to be climbed. So I guess it's up to you. And he's just like, oh, and I'm like, now go kick some ass this summer. It was like right before he left for the book field. And then he went and hit like his best summer ever and stuff. And like later on, we talked about him like, see, you climbed a mountain. It wasn't the mountain like a physical sense, but it's the same thing. You weren't meant to go sell. Human beings aren't meant to sell. But products were made to be sold. So I guess. Yeah. I guess it's up to you. And, and that's life in general. No, you weren't meant to, most things in life that you're probably doing, you weren't meant to do. Most things in passion, in your passion. We're not made to be photographers. We're not made to be fucking talk show hosts or whatever the fuck this is. I don't even know. Yeah. Talking with my buddies, right? But there are stories there to be shared. And I love that I get yeah. to have people on the show to share them. And there's pictures waiting to be taken, moments waiting to be captured. And somebody's going to capture them. We weren't meant well to be, do them, but might as well be you. Yeah. I, the, the so, question that, the question that I asked myself that changed my life when I was like, the reason I bought a camera is I, I asked myself, I was watching a film by Chris Burkhardt and I, I was like, man, why can't I do that? And then I just rephrased the question and asked myself again, why can't I do that? I don't have a camera. I don't know how, but those are the only two reasons that I can't do that. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Both of them are controlled by you. Yeah. It's making the decision. As much as we'd like to tell decision. our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and people like excuses. Well, the environment and the people I grew up with, my parents, and and look, everybody's had some hardships, and everybody's got their own shit mountain to climb. You're not, yeah. you weren't supposed to over, have to overcome your parents' divorce or racism or blah, blah blah. That's not how we were supposed to have been made by whatever creator you believe in. No, but you are in that situation, so you might as well be you that overcomes it and just fucking rise to the top. Yeah. And and just enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy, and then enjoy the ride down, right? Uh-huh. Enjoy, and then tell a story about it. So, bro, yeah. such a cool, such a cool uh, moment to to share with you. And uh, wow, so fun, so fun, yeah. man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a pleasure to catch up and uh, love the Ponytails podcast. And thanks for for everything. Yeah. Dude, you're a stud. Um, I can't wait. I'll have to have him back on after you climb Everest. Make sure you take less pictures. Don't yes. crash your drone. I will try not to (laughs) bring an extra drone if you have to. And remember, you got to write a sign that says ponytails podcast. This was for you. And then take a picture of it. I will. Or or at least wear one of our t-shirts or some shit. Like, I don't know. We'll pay. I'll bring something. Yeah. We'll pay to have something up there with you. Uh, Uh Tell Adrian I said, hello. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, you know, you know, cause I'm just kidding. Enjoy enjoy your time, bro. I'm super proud of you. Can't wait to hear what's going on with you in your life and what happens in the future. Um, keep in touch. Of course, we're always, we're always keeping in touch, sending good memes over the air. But uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, my name is Andres Gamboa. This has been Griffin Mims. He's been sharing with us some amazing stuff. If you were only listening to it, I definitely recommend you going back to about minute 42 and go check out some of the amazing photos if you just want to catch up with him. Or maybe if you're a book person that has the time and the money to freaking go climb 
Mount Everest because, of course, there's probably book people out there who are looking for that next challenge to do and that life on the edge moment that they tend to have and look for. Uh, make sure you guys reach out to Griffin Mints and Alpenglow Expeditions. You can find it. Uh, just Google it, and then that way you guys can have Griffin instruct you and uh, walk you through what it would take for you to climb these amazing mountains that were meant to be climbed. So um, on that note, we'll see you guys later. Thank you so much. Catch you on the next